This is Brian Panish, and today we're joined by uh, world-famous lawyer Benjamin Crump. Ben attended uh, undergraduate and law school at the Florida State University, otherwise known as the other FSU, not to be consider- confused with Fresno State University. Ben has been in a practice, a civil rights practice, and has made news, made changes throughout the world, and we're lucky to have Ben here with us today talking about his practice and what he does to combat racism in courts and throughout America. So first of all, Ben, welcome and glad we're glad to have you here today. I'm very honored to be with you, Brian, and privileged to work on cases with you. Ben, can you tell us for our, for our listeners just a general overview of the type of practice that you're involved in? Certainly. I was a Florida-based lawyer for 20 years, and then I had the opportunity to launch a national firm with association of great lawyers like Panish, Shea, and Boyle, uh, John Morgan out of Florida, as well as others around the country in 14 cities now. And what we do primarily is we fight for what my grandmother Brian called the least of these, the everyday people who often are marginalized and disenfranchised in America, obviously representing Trayvon Martin's family in Sanford, Florida, uh, Michael Brown's family in Ferguson, Missouri, um, and now Sacramento with Stephon Clark and too many others to name that have become household names on your local cable news uh, based on the injustices that many minorities receive in America with nobody being held accountable. So my objective in becoming a lawyer was to be like Thurgood Marshall, who was my personal hero who so courageously said that the Constitution was meant for all of us, for all of our children, and that's what it's about, Brian. That's what I do all over America, and I have to say this. I'm also now doing much more beyond just civil rights. We're also doing personal injury, wrongful death, um, uh, employment discrimination cases, and that's because I have associations with great lawyers like Brian Panish, like, John Morgan, like uh, Arthur Luxembourg. And so what Brian and John have allowed me to do was really fight for everyday people in every aspect of the law and give access to the courts. Well, Ben, we're lucky that you're out there helping all of us, but we're curious to find out how it is as you go around the country that you identify and combat racism, not only in pre-trial, but in trial matters and jurors that have preconceived notions or bias against a man or woman of color? You know, one of the biggest things, as with any case, you want to find out what is the profile of the ideal juror for your matter. And what you want to do is get them to talking. Uh, If you're in state court, you want to have them talk about their children and what's important to them, their families. Why do they choose to uh, watch certain television shows uh, every night? Because if they can start talking, you want to do two things, find out what's important to them, but find out if there are any uh, commonalities that they have with your client and the issue at uh, at bay in this court. And so what we do, as long as they're talking and as long as they're honest, and that's something you can't take for granted, that they're going to be honest when you ask the questions. But what I've done, Brian, is when they ask the question, they answer a question just like every great trial lawyer 
you listen to the answer and then you ask the follow-up question because often the first question they can be deceitful and so forth but if you stay on it they're going to tell you the truth and so you get to know their real feelings about how they feel about black people how they feel about hispanic people how they feel about uh members of the lgbtq community because if you're fighting the issue and the, you're saying that there's a discrimination matter that is a part of this case well you want them to know that anybody could be discriminated against the me too movement and all so you get all of that in there and they will reveal themselves but men most people don't want to admit that they have some preconceived notion even though it's going to have an impact on their decision making how do you go about figuring out whether that's the juror that you want for your case well you will never really truly know what's in a person's heart but what you want to do is get rid of that juror who is going to be convicted and they're racist or uh just in immoral belief and so you want to say if this is a bad person and there's nothing i can do to make him give equal consideration to my client then I got to get him off. I got to expose him to the other jurors. And you hopefully have a judge will allow you the time to properly bar down these witnesses. Uh, one of the things that I, I learned from going to the trial conferences and conventions is you want to do as much as you can in advance. You want to get all the background. You want to hire people to look at their social media, see what they're saying, because you only get one time to get your client justice. And that's what we fight for and that's what we do. And so that person, you might not get all of them, Brian, but you want that person off the young jury. Well, man, I know you were uh, representing the family of Trayvon Martin. And I know that went to trial in Florida, I believe Sanford, Florida. And I know you followed the trial, you were there mostly every day and you saw the jurors. What was it that you felt led the jurors to acquit uh, the defendant in that case. Absolutely. And Brian, I hope your uh, viewers out there will tune in every Monday night at 10 o'clock right now. Jay-Z and Beyonce, they produce the Trayvon Martin Rest in Power docuseries. Very good. Uh, and it really gets real deep into all aspects of that case, 10 p.m. And you will see when you watch that docuseries even though we represent the civil matter and we got the homeowners association, the management company and the apartment complex, they all settled with the civil that gave us their policy limits. We did not get to control the criminal matter because when you watch that documentary, the judge ruled that nobody could talk about race in the Trayvon Martin case and racial profiling. Well, that's what the whole case was about. And so when the judge ruled that ruling, it was almost as if, she wanted to make sure that people never got to talk about the most important issue. And I think that in a nutshell is what happened when those jurors were not able to get to the crux of the matter of why this neighborhood watch volunteer with a nine millimeter gun would profile, pursue, and shoot this young teenager in the heart while he walked home with a bag of Skittles and a can of iced tea had they got to talk about race, I believe it would have been a different outcome. Okay, Ben, what do you see 
as the number one threat to complete and full justice in cases tried here in the United States? And what do you do to combat that? Well, I think the biggest threat to our justice system is the same thing it has always been, Brian. That is the powerful people being able to have an unfair advantage against the regular citizens. Remember, America was found for the people, by the people, and we can never get away from that constitutional foundation because if we do, the powerful, the greedy, the corrupt will reign supreme and there will be no such thing as liberty and democracy and justice. And that's the only thing that makes America the great beacon of hope and justice for all the world to marvel. So the biggest threat is we have to get money out of tipping the scales of justice. It has to be when we come before this tribunal, everybody's equal, the corporations and the citizens, the government and the citizens. Everybody is equal with the citizens. Nobody is greater than any American citizen. And I have to say this, Brian, if I could. Thurgood Marshall often talked about that, that the basis of the American Constitution was that a black baby born, a Hispanic baby born, a Puerto Rican, Asian, it doesn't matter. If they're born and they draw their first breath as an American, then they have the same rights as the most affluent Americans. And if we can make people look and see that we all love our children, that's how you win verdicts, because it's emotion. So Ben, in this country, you know, a lot of people talk about the political divide today. Do you believe, what do you believe is the cause of this divide and how, how do you deal with that and try to get justice for your clients with diverse backgrounds? It's, it's very simple, Brian. I get asked this often whether I'm doing uh, CNN or Fox or MSNBC. The divide in this country is based on fear and mistrust. It's real simple. They play on the worst common denominator that we as all people have, and that's fear, that we won't be able to achieve the American dream. Because that's why everybody in the world wants to be Americans, because it's this dream that we can live out the full potential of our destiny. The second thing is distrust. It is when you have all these police shootings or whether you have these corruption cases, it's about people being able to know that there's transparency so we can see what happened. Don't hide the ball from us when you kill our children or you kill us in court with a trumped up sentence or you wrongfully incarcerate somebody or you discriminate against women or you discriminate against uh, people for whatever reason, whether they're members of the lesbian and gay community. Make it transparent. And then the second thing, you have to have accountability. And if you got transparency and accountability, you have trust. But don't just convict our children every day in courtrooms all across America, but yet when somebody do something to us, then you don't hold them accountable. How can I trust that system? And minority communities now more than ever in America today are distrustful of the system. That's the problem why we have uh, hard time signing up minority clients. They don't trust the system. So our job, not just as lawyers, but as Americans, is to say we're going to fight for the system to be fair, for you to get due process of the law. And that is what it's about, due process of the law. When you're in a case representing a diverse client, 
how do you go about establishing this trust and how do you go about bridging the gap of the divide for your clients? Because most of your cases, if you represent an African-American or Hispanic-American, the jury's not going to be full of African-Americans or Hispanic-Americans. How do you deal with that? You know, it's, it's so fascinating when you say that because Dr. King said we have to make people realize that we have more in common than we have to divide us. And so I spent a lot of time trying to speak truth to power when I'm in a courtroom. Ever since I was a, a first-year lawyer, I understood what my grandmother said. You get a chance to speak truth to power, you do it. Most of the time, Brian, people will understand if you can show them you all have interests that are aligned with one another, that this was a hardworking citizen, that he contributed to society, he paid his taxes, he wasn't trying to game the system, he wasn't trying to fleece America, he's like you. He wants to try to make sure he has a, a beautiful family and he works hard to provide for them. He doesn't want anything given to him. We don't want your charity. Charity is a nuisance. All we want is what's due here. And you be honest with them. If you don't think our client deserves whatever amount that we're asking for, then you don't give it because we don't want your charity. We have never asked for a handout. And you make it clear to them. Ben, what, what do you advise young lawyers that want to get into the area that you are in, which I call civil rights, but obviously you do many other things, but you go around the country speaking to people, trying to get, convey your message. How, what would you advise a young lawyer that wants to do what you do? Well, I say two things. Um, you want to absolutely care about social justice, and that is this concept that the Fair Administration of justice and the due process of law is so clear that you don't have to ask anybody whether it was fair or not. We can see it. Ben Franklin said democracy is like two wolves and a lamb uh, voting on what to have for lunch. But he said liberty is making sure the lamb is well armed to contest that vote. So if you want to do what I do, you want to make sure that you are helping everybody around you be well-armed to contest the vote. And I might add, you get with good partners like Brian Panish, who are trial masters, who can uh, teach you the ropes as a young lawyer. So when you get that opportunity, which is a great privilege, to go in a courtroom and argue for a cause that would change that person's life, that you are well-prepared and that you waited for that moment, you practiced for that moment, you uh, clung to the feet of a lawyer like Brian Panish and try to get as much knowledge as you can. Because when you go in that courtroom, people expect you to be prepared and to argue your cause to the best of your ability. We call it zealous representation. That's the only way our system of justice works in America, that you're going to be a zealous advocate for your client. Well, speaking about that, you know, you get to the point where sometimes you get overzealous and civility. What is your position and how do you address that civility and the role that lawyers play in setting examples, not only in the courtroom, but in the community and what they're looked up to, the lawyers, and how they act or people are going to kind of model their behavior? Where does civility come into play? Absolutely. In the courtroom and out the courtroom, we should always demonstrate civility. No matter how passionate you are, you have to agree to be disagreeable, but not be hostile 
to one another. And we need to learn this in our country right now more than ever with the political landscape where we not just disagree with each other, but it's a hatred for each other. And that's not America. Our society can do better. In my home state of Florida, we have this stand your ground law that I often fight against because it almost encourages you to resort to violence as a solution to everything. Diplomacy should be the solution to problems that we have. We shouldn't just shoot the other person or try to uh, destroy the other person or defame the other person. And that's what we're doing in America far too often. But I do believe the best example of it is what we saw in the civil rights movement with Dr. King and so many others like Congressman John Lewis, where people were uh, killing them, having dogs attacked on them, having hose pipes turned on them, but they still refused to resort to violence. Violence is never the solution. Hatred is never the solution. Prejudice is never the solution. The solution, I believe, with everything in my heart, is that we have to figure out and understand that we're all in this boat together. And if I can't be what I'm supposed to be in life, you won't be able to be what you're supposed to be in life. Our destinies are intertwined with each other. This is America. How do you use your uh, not uh, being well-known and handling famous cases, how do you use that to try to get your message across as a lawyer to other people? You know, one of the things uh, I did learn from Thurgood Marshall is he always said that you look at the case and it's not just a case, but it's a cause. And if you can demonstrate to people that even though this case mattered, especially the Trayvon Martin, but it mattered to your family too. Stephon Clark matters to your family too. Uh, Michael Brown and Ferguson matters to your family too. Why? Because we all have children. We all have a society. We all want to make sure that people have equal economic opportunities where they don't feel that they have to resort to uh, desperate measures just to put food on the table because then it becomes a problem that can affect your family too. So if we all work together, I just believe there's a solution for anything that you can define as a problem. Brian, do you know that in the courts, we see over and over again the prison population rising in the most uh, successful, technologically advanced country in the world, which is America. We keep sending our citizens to prison, especially our minority citizens, and for what reason? It is a drain on the taxes, it's a drain on the economy. When we can find that these young people can offer more to America, their redeeming qualities, if we just give them a chance, we can make America be this striving economy, this robust economy that has had everybody outside of America always want to get here. It is within us to do it, and that's what I try to not only preach in the courtroom, but outside the courtroom. There's a, a rap song, Brian, and I know you're kind of current on uh, culture. They have, they have a rap song called Walk It Like You Talk It. Every day I try to walk the walk and talk the talk. Well, Ben, you know, when you were doing the Ferguson, Michael Brown, I mean, there had to be people that were haters, that were 
saying all oh, this Ben Crump and then this African-American movement, this is wrong. And did you receive threats or were people saying, making comments and things about you and, you know, then we're going to take care of Ben Crump? Yeah, and, it, and it's one of those things that you live with when you make a decision to do the type of work we do. Thurgood Marshall had it far worse than I have it. Uh, because, I mean, they literally was trying to kill him. I'll tell you a funny story. Down in Camilla, Georgia, they had a segregated cemetery in 2017 owned by the city. I mean, these are the taxpayers, and on the black side, it was dilapidated, it wasn't manicured and everything, and on the white side, it was holocaustic, it was well-preserved, you had nice uh, tombstones, and we filed a lawsuit, a federal lawsuit, to tear down the fence, and we were successful. We got a lot of fanfare, a lot of entertainers and high-profile people uh, came to Camilla and uh, helped us with it. They had their first African-American man to be mayor in 2017, and that was the big thing we did. But when we were leaving, I got a phone call, Brian, after, you know, New York Times and ABC News came to this little town of Camilla, and I laugh about it. My wife and my mother take it seriously. But I got a call, and they said, hey, is this uh, Ben Crump? And I said, yes, it is. They say, you the N-word lawyer. And then I kind of got quiet. They say, if you keep bringing your civil rights down here to Camilla, you're going to find yourself in your integrated cemetery. Yeah. And I thought to myself, Brian, whoever this race was with, he had to think long and hard to come up with that line. But I reported it to the FBI and you said, hey, you got to know that you cannot live on your knees. We are men and we have to walk like a man. And if I die believing what I uh, choose to give my life for, then I would have lived a noble life and had a noble death. Well, Ben, it's been a pleasure to spend some time with you. We're going to get you back, talk about some specific cases, but thank you so much for all you do. And we're very lucky to have you helping all the people of the United States of America. Thank you. Thank you, Brian.